Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Love You Mom, an Alzheimer's story. I'm Wendy Mosier. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been following Toasted Marshmallow Adventures podcast, you know that we've opened another studio, a second studio in Boise, Idaho at the Gem Center for the Arts on Bank Drive. We're currently taking new podcast clients at both our Boise and Nampa studios. So if you've ever felt inspired and thought you might want to do a weekly, monthly, or series podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. We can help you with all aspects of your project from writing tips to setup, production, release, and everything in between. We are also available to podcast on location. If you have an event that you'd like us to live stream or tape to edit and release at a later date, or if you'd like us to interview people, we have all the necessary equipment and we are ready to go. Toasted Marshmallow Adventure Studio is also involved in social media content creation. We understand that running a business is time consuming and you may not have time to create all of your social media posts. That's where we come in. We currently have clients sending us their photos and write-ups. We create their content in the form of pictures and videos in sizes appropriate for Instagram and Facebook stories, reels, and posts, sending options back in a timely manner. Creating your voice is our passion. We so appreciate all of our listeners, all of the follows, likes, and shares. We have big things coming up from Toasted Marshmallow Adventures podcast, including some great comedians that will be live on our Facebook page. Please check out our social media for dates and times. Thank you again for listening. And now that we've taken care of business, let's get on with the show. As we near the one-year mark of my mom, Lucy, being in assisted living with Alzheimer's, I wanted to do a podcast to update everyone. Having no idea how long we'd all be dealing with this awful disease, I guess I didn't really imagine that mom would be in assisted living for a year. We have celebrated every occasion we can think of in assisted living. We've each had tears of joy and terrible sadness in assisted living, and although Alzheimer's is slowly taking my mom away from us, She is still thriving in her own way. I'm still asked often how she's doing. It seems easier now to tell people that she's, quote, holding her own, doing well, or doing as well as she can under the circumstances. And she is. A year ago, we entered assisted living. Me, Chris, John, and Mom. 
I think we were apprehensive, a little scared, and also resigned to the fact that it was time and we had made the correct decision. There have been many amazing times. I have photos of my mom leaning on the med cart, talking to staff with one hand on her hip and a big smile on her face like she's teasing them. I have a photo of her holding another resident's hand at dinner, both of them smiling. My mom has always been the life of the party and it's carried on into the assisted living. When she was up and walking around, she would give people hugs and smile at everyone, asking how they were or showing interest in what they were talking about. She quickly became a favorite on the unit, and the women that work on the unit would come hang out in her room. One time I walked in, and the person that cleaned the rooms at the time was lying in bed next to Mom. I was a little surprised, but just stood there, and they were enjoying a moment together, just lying there chatting. It warmed my heart. I used to lay in bed with Mom, and we'd look up at the ceiling and talk and laugh. Now she had other friends to do this with. The employee jumped up, apologizing, saying Mom had wanted her to stay, and I knew that was true. I told her not to feel weird, that I knew Mom was enjoying her company, and that she enjoyed chatty bedtime. When other staff heard that it was okay with us if they hung out with us and Mom, it became a regular thing. It hasn't been unusual to have, quote, a party in 307, as we call it, and have four to five people in a room talking and laughing. It's been so good for all of us. Sometimes it's difficult to come to the assisted living. Sometimes my emotions get the best of me, and I'm trying not to cry as I walk onto the unit, wiping away tears and trying to smile and say hello to everyone without being obvious that I'm a bit of a mess. The distraction of smiling happy people is good. Tuesday, August 24th, John was going to take his first mini trip away from mom and we had everything in place. We'd already been visiting in shifts. I would come after work to spell John. John was going home for a couple days a week to keep their home and life in order. During those times, Chris and I would visit for extended periods, hours actually, and we'd walk around the unit, take mom outside, and occasionally, if we thought she felt good enough, for a ride around town. We wanted to help fill mom's time, make sure she was okay and knew that we didn't just leave her there, and of course, the obvious, to spend the time she had left together. John had planned to head to Utah at 4 p.m. that Tuesday with their dog Lily and spend a few days with our family friend Donna and a friend of hers. I remember when he headed out because I was with mom at her assisted living. She was pretty aware of things, and we were all concerned that she might start noticing that John and Lily weren't around and become sad. We would tell her that John was out walking Lily, because he probably was, and that he'd be back soon. And soon is relative, so I didn't feel too badly telling little white lies. We all just wanted her to stay happy. We all, staff included, thought John should take a break to go try to have some fun. The girls at Mom's Assisted Living all love John. Several have told me that future husbands need to be as caring as John, that they wanted their future person to look over them like John watches over Mom. We talked during the first day that he was gone about how we all hoped he was having a good time, could sort of release all of the things he'd been dealing with, and relax into his mini-vacation. It was Wednesday, August 25th, and Chris and I had arrived at our usual time. 
We visited with mom for a couple of hours until it was her supper time and then escorted her to the dining table with the other residents and told her that we'd see her the next day. This had been her pattern. Chris and I would generally leave mom's during her last meal, knowing that afterwards they'd be getting her ready for bed and we'd see her soon. She seemed unstable going to the table and I walked with her, holding her arm until she sat down. The Alzheimer's was inhibiting her walking. The signals from the brain telling her feet and legs how to walk weren't as clear as they had been and occasionally she'd stutter step, catching her toes on the ground and nearly falling. Those days would be followed by several good walking days and we knew it was the disease progression. We stayed close by her these days and occasionally she'd use a walker that John got her, but it was such a foreign idea to a woman that had walked hundreds of thousands of miles in her lifetime to now need a walker. When she was first introduced to the walker, she would take the automated cat that we'd purchased for her on walks down the hall. The cat would sit on the bench and Mom and John would take a stroll, but her ability to see the walker as anything more than a hindrance to her walking freely was few and far between. We hugged Mom, saying that we'd see her soon, that we loved her, and that we hoped she enjoyed her meal. We headed home. I think we were home for about 15 minutes and the calls from the assisted living employees started. Wendy, your mom fell. I remember initially not being too worried because she'd fallen before and because John was out of town, I figured that I was getting the updates. How bad is it? I remember asking. Staff said they, that they couldn't really tell, but she had screamed out in pain and was not really consolable at the moment. I said I'd be right over. Mom's assisted living is 15 minutes from our house, and I had that feeling as I was driving like I was in a movie, like this wasn't real, and that I was going to arrive and it was just going to be a standard fall, and nothing to be too concerned about. I rushed into memory care and then into Mom's room. There were two or three staff members there that I was very familiar with, and they were all apologetic, saying how sorry they were. Mom was sitting in her room in a wheelchair that they said they had borrowed from another resident to get her off the floor. They said she was walking back to her room, caught her foot on the carpeting, and fell hard on one side. They weren't sure if we should try to get her changed and into bed, or if she should go to the hospital, and they were asking me what to do. As I'm trying to discern the situation, a rush of paramedics come in with a gurney, nine to be exact. They were loud and demanding in their tone. It was immediately irritating and I was struggling to keep my composure. I am very loyal to my people. I don't care for it at all when people are demanding things of my mom that she can't provide due to her diagnosis of Alzheimer's. There was a lot of, ma'am, where does it hurt? Ma'am? Ma'am, what's wrong with her? Can she answer us? What do you want us to do? I felt rushed and unsure of the situation, and I so desperately wished John was there. I believe staff understood what I was feeling and asked that the paramedics wait outside for a minute or two. I called John. He answered quickly, saying that he was at dinner with Donna and her friend, and I told him our predicament. Mom couldn't tell me where it hurt or if she was okay. She couldn't tell me that she needed to go to the hospital or that she was fine and wanted to go to bed. John suggested we try to change her clothes and get her into bed. I told him I'd keep him posted and I'd call back. I told staff, 
They tried lifting Mom under her arms from the wheelchair, and she yelled. I'd heard that yell before. She'd yelled like that a few months prior, but I hadn't remembered the yell being associated with pain. At that time, it seemed that the yell was from confusion and fear. When someone with Alzheimer's isn't able to tell you what's going on, you try to take cues from everything else. The sound of their voice. Are their hands moving differently or grabbing at certain areas on their bodies? And what is their facial expression? Staff said that it didn't look like mom could put any weight on her leg and she yelled every time they tried to stand her up. I called John back and we decided that we'd better head to the hospital to get her checked out. The paramedics came back in, this time a little less gruff, and got her onto the gurney. This was a gut-wrenching time for me. I couldn't explain to her what was going on and who these men were. I had to watch as she yelled in pain, tears streaming down, and her telling them to stop. I told them she didn't understand what they were saying, and it seemed that they didn't understand Alzheimer's or dementia at all. It seemed that they thought asking things louder or in different ways was going to be the solution. I asked to go with her in the ambulance, and they said no. This was our worst fear. We had worried that something might happen to Mom, and she'd have to be transported in an ambulance without one of us. This was also still during COVID, and hospitals were becoming maxed out with patients. One of the paramedics said I could follow behind the ambulance and that they'd be going to the back of the hospital to get Mom in through the ER. I'm not sure why I didn't take his advice. I'm assuming my impatience and my wanting this to swiftly be over and her to be out of pain took over, but I didn't follow them. As soon as I knew Mom was heading to the ambulance on the gurney, I jumped in my car and flew to the hospital. Driving while freaked out and scared for your mom is not in the driver's handbook. I forced myself to focus on every stoplight and stop sign. It's crazy how slow motion life can seem when you're in a giant hurry. I assumed the ambulance would have lights on and I figured they'd probably beat me there. I parked my car and trotted into the hospital. There was a giant sign about masks and only people needing to be seen would be allowed in. My heart sank. Mom couldn't go through this without one of us there. She just couldn't. Donning my mask, I entered, worried that I'd be told to leave. Instead, I was kindly told to have a seat, that the ambulance hadn't arrived yet. Longest 30 minutes ever. I sat in the first available seat, wondering why no one else was sitting close to the desk, except this woman in a wheelchair. It didn't take me long to figure it out, though. The poor woman was throwing up in a bag, sweating, and overall looking miserable. Generally, this would make me change seats, but I remember thinking about it and not caring. I needed to be near the front desk so that they could see me and I'd be alerted when Mom arrived. I really didn't want this to be an experience she went through alone. I mentally sent the woman good vibes and that I hoped she'd feel better soon, and I maintained my seat, gagging, vomit, and all. After what seemed like way longer than 30 minutes, I went up and asked if my mom had arrived, and finally, yes, she had. They were getting her situated in a room, and they'd call me back shortly. 
Finally getting to go back, I took my place at mom's side, grabbing her hand for strength and reassurance, telling her all of the things that she's told me over the years. I told her she was a strong Alaskan woman and it was going to be okay. I told her to try to relax and breathe. I told her to picture a place that she loved, maybe Hawaii or Juneau, Alaska, and then I waxed on about the ocean, the beach and sand, the big puffy clouds, and I hope it helped my mom as much as she'd helped me in the past. When I was a kid and scared to get shots, I'd either sit on her lap or next to her, and she'd tell me to pretend I was Raggedy Ann, a favorite doll that I had, and be relaxed like her. I told my mom the same. I held her hand, and we waited. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Human Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. Eventually, a barrage of help filtered in. There were many questions, all of them directed towards mom, and she couldn't answer at all. I was asked many, many times if this was mom's baseline, to which I would answer no. She's in excruciating pain right now. I would say that normally she's very chatty and smiling. Every movement caused distress and she'd scream out. It was so painful to be there and unable to help relieve her pain that at one point I started crying and was asking if they could please, please get her some pain meds. All of the assessment was done prior to any pain resolution, so she was being moved around. Her tears, her yells, it was awful. One doctor came in saying that a positive was that she wouldn't remember much, if any, of this experience, and I remember wanting to punch him right in the face. Whether she remembered or not, she was feeling horrific pain right now, and why couldn't we get that under control? As all of this was going on, and before we knew Mom's diagnosis, John texted at 6.39 p.m. and said he was heading home. He was in southern Utah and thought he'd be at the hospital the next morning, and he'd try to take little cat naps along the route, but he'd be driving all night. I told him I'd keep him posted and to please, please drive safely. I told him I'd stay with Mom as long as they'd let me. At 7.48 p.m., I texted John that we were still in the ER and her blood pressure was 171 over 106. We were using this info as a pain indicator because she couldn't tell us her pain level. At 7.55, I texted John, quote, off to get x-rays, fentanyl on board. Doctor asked if we wanted blood work and a lot of labs. I said I thought we should start with x-rays of leg, hip, and go from there. Thirty minutes or so later, a doctor came in and showed me the x-rays. Mom had broken her femur. The doctor said, not mincing words at all, that if we left her as she was, she would die in the next week. If we had surgery, at least she would be out of pain, and then probably, due to mobility 
and Alzheimer's, she might not last that long, but we'd have a shot at life. I called John with the terrible news, and I remember him asking what I thought we should do, considering that I was there with her. I told him that she couldn't die this way. She can't die in this kind of pain if we have a shot at something better. I told him that I wanted to do the surgery, and he said he trusted my judgment, and we'd go with that. The doctor came back in, and I told him we were going forward with surgery. I remember feeling like he was surprised. I remember thinking that maybe a lot of people would let their person go, but we weren't ready, and Mom wasn't either. I don't think. Not in this way. I stayed with Mom in the ER until they were able to find her a bed. The hospital was packed with COVID patients. I texted John when we got into the room at 1.47 a.m. Quote, just got into a room, stopping fentanyl and giving morphine PRN. She can have it every three hours. The pain block was a no-go because of the lidocaine patches. They couldn't be sure she wouldn't overdose. Room 2414. Blood pressure very high and no orders yet for blood pressure meds. So watching carefully and hooking her up to a cardiac machine for the night. I'll be here tonight. Mom was definitely feeling better with pain meds on board, and any time I thought she was showing signs of pain, I'd ask for more, realizing more than ever that I was her voice. The nurses asked if I was staying the night, and I said yes, asking if I could go get my bag from my car. I didn't have anything that I needed with me, but I wanted my charger and tablet that were in my car. They graciously gave me a one-time pass to go out and come back in while a security guard watched me. Because of COVID, once you left, generally, that was it for the day. I grabbed my stuff and headed back to Mom's room, where I hunkered down with a thin blanket and pillow they'd given me and tried to rest. John said he'd be here in the morning. At 5.26 a.m., I texted John, quote, Morphine seems to work well. Second dose on board now. Also just putting on those leg compression things to avoid blood clots. Blood pressure on the verge of an issue. Running 180 to 190 over 100 or so, but watching closely. Thinking it's due to the trauma and pain. Hope you're doing okay. John texted right back. Thanks for the news. I am in Burley. Have had to stop for short naps. Hope to be there about 8.30. I texted back. Quote, okay, sounds good. I'll either meet you out in the parking lot or Chris will. I don't think with COVID precautions that we can be up here together. Mom was lucky that she got the last bed on this unit. Earlier, the nurse said they would make allowances for us, like letting us tag team if we kept them in the loop. John arrived from his night-long drive at 8.16 a.m. Thursday, August 26. We were both exhausted, and I met him outside, giving him the rundown. He headed up to Mom's room, and I went home to sleep for a bit and shower, awaiting more news and more info on how I could help. I assumed we'd be tag-teaming with me giving John spells to get out of the hospital, and I notified my cleaning clients. At 6.51 p.m. Thursday, August 26, John texted, Just taken to surgery. I'm going to get some food and swing by the house for a bit. I sent him a picture of their dog, Lily, that said, Lily is lying beside me in the bedroom. She's eating dinner. A few hours later, John texted, 
Your mom got back to the room a few minutes ago. She is resting well, tilted up about 30 degrees. She reacted when they rolled her up to put bed covers under, but not as much as earlier. I will moisten her mouth. She has two long incisions under bandages. I will stay a while and then head to your house. Nurse says she will call me when your mom starts to wake up. I replied, okay, great, thank you. John texted, you made a good decision to proceed with the surgery. I texted, I think so, I hope so. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an update to Love You Mom, an Alzheimer's story. We will continue this episode next week with one more update to bring you current. We so appreciate each and every one of you. Without you, there is no us, and we are grateful.